is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Parents have been anxiously waiting for the day when the younger kids can get their vaccines. Getting closer, Pfizer has handed over its data on vaccines for kids 5 to 11. They say it's safe, it's effective, so maybe we get them for the children by Halloween. Does your politics have anything to do with your likelihood of dying from COVID? There's new data suggests maybe. We'll talk with a Hollywood actress in a vaccine booster study. But we start with the kids and the vaccines. The first couple rounds, Dr. Nathaniel Beers, pediatrician at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., author of the American Academy of Pediatrics Guide on Reopening Schools. Rob Archer and I asked him if Pfizer and the FDA can move any faster to get this approved. I think certainly the American Academy of Pediatrics has been encouraging people to move with the great expediency that we experienced last fall. And so uh, we have uh, submitted a letter to the FDA to encourage them to uh, move with the greatest sense of urgency because we know kids are back in school. Uh, we know families are uh, have concerns about the safety of their students back in school. Um, and schools have concerns about being able to safely keep kids in school. And so certainly vaccines are a big part of it. Um, and so we do hope that they will move with a great sense of urgency to make sure that uh, students can get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Yeah, when it comes to reopening schools, you know, you had uh, there are a few uh, parents out there who were opposed to vaccines in general. And uh, even for kids 12 and older, they didn't want those kids to get uh, vaccinated. Is there going to be, do you think, a deeper pushback, a more virulent pushback against vaccinating kids uh, five years old? I think we're going to see the same groups who struggled with us vaccinating kids uh, 12 to 18 who struggle with younger kids. There may be a few more people who are concerned about uh, younger kids uh, just because they are younger and smaller. And so certainly uh, we want to make sure that we are uh, acting with a very uh, great sense of caution. Uh, And that is part of the reason that uh, there is additional data that Pfizer collected to make sure that they were uh, really exploring the side effects more deeply uh, so that they could uh, start to create some sense of comfort for those families who were concerned about uh, smaller kids and, and what the impact might be with them. What timeline can we maybe safely assume that we're in if they do this review like you want as quickly as possible? Are we still talking Halloween time? Because that seemed to be mentioned over the last month or so. Yeah, we certainly heard from our colleagues at Pfizer that that's their goal to make sure that there uh, is vaccine available by Halloween. I think certainly uh, that would be wonderful. I've heard lots of predictions over the past 18 months about when vaccines were going to be available uh, and learned to know that we just have to make sure that we continue to apply pressure on people to keep moving uh, so that we continue to get vaccines out. And I'm going to try and avoid another prediction that might get me in trouble. How much of a concern is there uh, when dealing with, uh, you know, it's the reason you have pediatricians uh, versus uh, doctors who treat adults is because the the bodies are different. The the systems are different. And a child who's five years old compared to somebody who's 16 or 17 years old. What what is the big difference uh, when it comes down to getting these vaccines? Yeah, so I think uh, part of the the data that needed to be looked at was sort of what's the different reaction at different dose levels, right? I think they looked at that in adults, and they need to do the same thing with children. Uh, We want to use the minimal amount of uh, dose that we can to get the maximal impact. And so uh, that's part of uh, uh, the review that needs to occur uh, to make sure that, in fact, uh, we can protect kids. Uh, but not give them more than they need to get that protection. And so it's part of the reason why uh, we've been quite clear, the American Academy of Pediatrics and pediatricians around the country, that that it's not appropriate just to give the adult dose to younger kids. 
uh, and uh, I get emails all the time from family members and friends about their, you know, 10-year-old who's the size of a 12-year-old and, and all of those questions. Uh, but really, uh, it is important to recognize that that small children are not uh, small adults, uh, and we need to make sure that we explore the safety profiles with them carefully uh, to make sure that we can effectively give the vaccine. Yeah, they're not just shrunken down. Uh, is this still a two-shot regimen for this young set? Uh, that is my understanding that that Pfizer has looked at a two-shot resumen for this uh, round of, uh, of of individuals as well. All right. Dr. Nathaniel Beers, pediatrician, Children's National Hospital in D.C., authored the American Academy of Pediatrics Guide on Reopening Schools. The pandemic has been politicized. New data is coming in about it. Found two-thirds of COVID deaths in the country happened since the election in 2020. Areas with the highest rates have also tended to have the lower vaccination rates, and those areas tended to support former President Trump. But can we blame political leanings? Dr. Erwin Redlener, Director of the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative, Professor of Health Policy Management at Columbia University Medical Center. Rob and I were with him and asking why many Trump supporters don't want to take the vaccine, even though his administration got the whole thing started. Well, you know, this is one of the more perplexing phenomenon I've seen in a couple of decades of public health work, which is that we have the intrusion in the worst possible sense of that word into a political intrusion into what should be a strictly public health, health and safety issue that is deadly and affecting the entire world, including uh, the United States in a big way. How did politics become a factor in what people were going to do or not do, or how people were going to receive public health messages? This is a question that I think we'll be mulling over for many years to come, but I think part of it had to do with the way uh, Donald Trump conducted business. He, first of all, seemed to be intentionally undermining the value of science and scientists and seriously uh, affecting how people were perceiving hardcore information that they needed to know to make appropriate policy and personal decisions. And second of all, he he deliberately went about identifying anti-science measures at his political rallies, for example, not wearing masks, where to the point where the MAGA hat became the new you know, uh, was replaced by the absence of mask wearing. So if you didn't wear a mask, got to be pretty clear that you were a Trump supporter. Uh, a very bizarre situation, to say the least. So distrust in science, uh, I think, started before, but maybe he exacerbated it, to your point. But I wonder if now it's even gone past him. Uh, no, I'm him. sorry, hold on. Cause... Not maybe. He grossly exacerbated it. People left in droves from the scientific agencies in the United States. It was not... Uh, a coincidence that this was happening. And there wasn't all that much of that uh, to any extent in the previous administrations, including Republican administrations. This was something we have not seen before. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, so, so now I, I still wonder if it's gone even past him, because there was that moment at that rally in Alabama, I think, where he said, I recommend people take this vaccine, and they booed him. So oh, recently, we're now, yeah. 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 I mean, now it's at a totally different playing field where heels yeah. are dug in, and I'm wondering what changes that, if anything, if we're now to that point. You know, it, it's you're you're addressing that question to somebody who deals with public health, uh, and really the proper person to answer that might be somebody who's into hardcore politics and those dynamics. However, I, I'm not 
uh, I am pretty immersed in the political side of it as well. And what's going to happen? I don't know. I, I, I'm predicting, you know, we had 690,000 deaths uh, cumulatively as of uh, yesterday in the United States. We're going to hit 700,000 by the weekend deaths. And if we don't change things, we'll be hitting a million deaths by April, mid-April, let's say. Uh, those kind of landmarks don't seem to be having an effect. And I think the thing that will mostly, most likely be changing it, Rob and or Mike, I don't know who I was, whose question I was just answering, but... Um, we're both the same. We're both <laughs> the same. one mind. Yeah, probably not. If we had visual here, I'd identify. <laughs> but I think that the thing that are, is most likely to change the situation is the, uh, the implementation of vaccine mandates that are going to be implemented throughout every federal agency, every federal contractor, and so on. Some states, like New York, will mandate vaccines, especially like for healthcare workers and teachers, and California is doing some. Many states are doing uh, things along those lines. But even more impactful will be as more and more companies say, you know, now that Pfizer has been fully approved, not emergency approval by the FDA, we're going to here's the message for our employees. Uh, if you don't get vaccinated, if you can't prove that you've been vaccinated, you can't work here. There are going to be firings, and those firings, or the possibility of being fired, I think will be probably the best incentive of all to get people uh, vaccinated. Because the distance, I mean, the the less uh, aggressive forms of incentivizing people are simply not working. I think it's going to take more carrots, uh, fewer carrots and more sticks uh, to get the majority of Americans on board, even in those deeply red Republican states where uh, the resistance to getting the vaccine is strong. Well, because at the end of the day, there should be nothing different when it comes to this vaccine versus all the others that in lots of spaces we are required to take. It's just that this one got wrapped up in politics. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, I think that uh, the extrication from that. Uh, apparently it's not going to be political because we have a lot of governors, for example, and other political leaders who are supposed to have responsibility for the health and well-being of their constituents who have just dug in their heels in very anti-vax, uh, anti-public health uh, measures for which I hope someday they'll, they'll be accountable. But in the meantime, I think it's going to take individual companies, universities, institutions, schools to say no vaccine, no entry, period. Dr. Erwin Redliner directs the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative, Professor Health Policy Management at Columbia. Coming up after the short break, we hear from someone who's had a booster and uh, knows if it's working. Booster shots have just been approved, at least from Pfizer. Uh, just because something's been approved doesn't mean scientists stop studying them. And of course, there was plenty of study leading up to them. Shannon Woodward is an actress on the sci-fi hit show Westworld, part of the vaccine booster trial for Pfizer. Got a booster shot months ago, is learning about how it all works. And Rob and I asked her if she was worried about getting one. Honestly, no, not at all. Not at all. So you felt you felt safe and assured that the third booster shot was was uh, going to help people, especially as now I can't remember six months ago. Were we aware of the Delta variant yet? Was that uh, coming out? Did that enter into your mind? You know, actually, when when we did the the booster, which was I got that on April 1st, they offered me the booster the same day that they drew my blood for six months post shot two. And that was actually when everybody was really concerned about the South African variant. And Pfizer was also testing a South African version, uh, a South African variant version of the Pfizer vaccine. So when they gave me the booster, they were like, you're either going to get 
a South African variant booster, or you're going to get the same shot a third time. And I got the sh- the, the same shot a third time. I okay. So you were pretty yeah. early with this kind of all around because you got your, your second shot then way earlier than most people. Were you part of like the system before that or did you seek this out? How did it work and, and what made you want to, to try this? Well, I mean, back when we were all washing our groceries um, last <laughs> summer, you know, I, I, I'm an actor and everything was, you know, very much shut down with really at the time, no kind of protocols in, in sight to really go back to work safely in the States. And, um, you know, that left me with a lot of time to read medical preprints and studies. And, and I just, you know, wanted to have some kind of idea about what was going on. And I was tracking the Pfizer vaccine for months through the animal trials and the early phase one trials in humans. And, you know, as I was reading those, you know, I would track the clinicaltrials.gov site just to see, like, are they recruiting? Like, how fast is this going to happen? Because it was starting to look really hopeful, like, oh, my God, we might get a vaccine by the end of the year. And I started emailing and calling different trial locations because they're all listed on the government website and, you know, would just leave messages. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and somebody will call me back. But I didn't have real hopes about it. And then suddenly one morning, a couple months into doing that, somebody was like, here in Los Angeles, uh, yeah, we, do you want to sign up? We can get you an appointment tomorrow. And um, they also said I could give it, give the phone number to everybody I knew if they want. It wow. wasn't exclusive. It wasn't some kind of, I just got lucky and found a place that was actively recruiting and they needed, they, that trial site had 300 spots to fill, though there were 44,000 of us in, in total in the Pfizer trial. Okay, so your blood tests, what do they show? How's that third shot working for you? Well, so what's interesting is, you know, first of all, it's important to just note up front that there is no number for immunity, right? We we don't really know what that is. Um, and hopefully one day we'll have a magic number for that, but we don't. Um, so it's important not to make, you know, health decisions based on those numbers. But um, I was able to find, there's also several different scales of antibody measurement because there is no agreed upon scale worldwide. So, and anybody who's kind of tried to get a quantitative test would, would have noticed that sometimes it's like 8.4 and you're like, what does that mean? What does that relate to? Um, but there's a, a lab corp test that they do a semi-quant test that's on a scale called the Roche scale that I was able to find on, um, the NHS in England, they actually published the Pfizer trial data originally in that scale. So you were, I was able, that scale is from zero to 2,500, zero being no antibodies and 2,500 being the peak of how it measures. And on average, the, the Pfizer phase, uh, sorry, shot two data was a, between 2,000 and 2,200. So not even at the top of the scale. And then, you know, at least from most of my friends and family that have taken this test after about after uh, six months after shot two, they're around, you know, three or 400 seems to be a normal waning for a healthy person from my friend's test. It's in no way a scientific study. Um, but mine post shot three, six months later, um, I maxed out the test and I have not been exposed. So it's not bad news. It's hard to say if it means anything at all, but it's not waning the same way for me, and hopefully that's the case across the board because I have uh, no means to think I'm in any way special. Did we you, just gave our bl- blood last week for the six month. Did did you get uh, a reaction from the first set of shots, and uh, did you get a reaction from the uh, third one? Yeah, you know, I actually had a stronger reaction to even shot one than most people I knew. I, I had a low grade fever and felt a little tired. 
shot two, you know, I had flu-like symptoms a bit for about 12 hours, sore arm, little low-grade fever, felt like nauseous, little chills. And then the third shot, I actually planned to be sick that the next day I was, I was filming. So we planned to shut down because, you know, I can't show up to work with a fever. And uh, I didn't have a fever. I, I, I felt sick a, a little bit about six hours after I was immunized. I had a, a, a headache that onset pretty quick. My arm was suddenly sore six or seven hours after immunization. And then I went to bed and I woke up absolutely fine, which was a shock. I was tired, but my arm wasn't even sore. And most people, it seems from the data that Pfizer released have, you know, similar to shot two symptoms, but personally, mine were less. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I got everything with shot one and then nothing at all Mm. with two. So, uh, you know, as we've discussed on the show here before, antibodies or not, your body can still remember the immune system does what it's supposed to do. But at least from you, we have now like a real world example that for those, especially in the 65 plus crowd, and you're not 65, but for those who are going and getting them, it does ramp up those antibodies, which can save you from a breakthrough or, or you know, hospitalization if, if you are older as we move forward and try and get through winter here. Oh, we might have lost her. Oh, no, I'm right nope. here. There you are. I, okay. didn't, I didn't hear a question. Sorry. No. No. <laughs> we, we were just hoping you weren't replaced by a, a, a robot. robot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it could happen to any of us. Trust me. You know, we might know. be. <laughs> All right. Uh, Westworld actress uh, Shannon Woodward there. Shannon, thanks for talking to us. You've seen the picture. It's going viral. A little boy who kept his mask on for his school photo. Six-year-old Mason Peoples lives in Las Vegas. He was told by the photographer, it's okay, take it off, it's picture day. Uh, He said, no thanks. My mom told me I can't. Mom told CNN he's a rules follower, was excited to come home, tell her about the picture story. Lots of people wanted to do something nice for Mason, so mom set up a GoFundMe page, $7 goal, you know, some allowance. It has more than $13,000 now. Mom says that's going in the college fund. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.